Rise Life podcast, where we show you that women are capable of achieving anything they want in their lives, provided they've got the right tools and strategies to back them up. My name is Victoria Smith. I am your host. I am a stress reduction coach who helps women seriously reduce your stress so that you can actually enjoy your daily lives. Now, today is our hundredth episode. Like, I mean, I would screech, but that would be really painful for your ears. I am so incredibly excited that I have reached a hundred episodes, you guys. This is something that started to be honest, because I was doing these interviews on my blog and I thought no one's reading them. Maybe people would actually listen to them. And while that has turned out to be true, the podcast has definitely evolved over the last almost two years. And I'm just, this is such a huge milestone for me. And because it's such a huge milestone, I am celebrating. (laughs) So as you know, I am a stress reduction coach. So what I want to do for this 100th episode is give away a free 100-minute coaching call, so an hour and 40 minutes, to three lucky winners. So I'm super pumped about this. Now the way to enter is to head on over to Instagram and follow me at stresslessladies. And in my little bio, you will see the link tree there, which uh, the very first link on the link tree is the 100th episode giveaway. There are ways that you can earn 11 points basically towards 11 entries essentially on the raffle copter giveaway. Some of these include uh, making sure you follow me at Stressless Ladies. <laughs> you can tag friends who you think might really be interested in coaching or my content or the podcast. You can screenshot you listening to this episode or any of your favorite episodes and share it on in your Instagram feed or in your stories. Just make sure to tag me at Stressless Ladies. You can sign up for my newsletter where you'll automatically get a free stress reduction meditation as my gift to you. And... Yes, the last one is you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, so just make sure if you're doing any of those, if you're entering this at all, make sure that you go through the raffle copter giveaway so that you can verify your entry because you want to get credit for actually doing those things, right? You actually want to win a coaching session, and uh, the way that we're going to do it is we are going to close it after either 1,500 entries, so... Again, if you do all of the options, you get 11 entries. So we'll close after 1,500 entries or by March 7th, whichever comes first. So I will let you know. So super excited. If Even if coaching isn't something that you're interested in, let people know in your lives who are interested in because 100 minutes is pretty decent for free. You know, you can really make some decent strategies to reduce your stress and live a more meaningful life in that time period. I do all of my coaching over the phone, over Google Hangouts, over Skype. So whoever's interested can be anywhere in the world and participate in this. So, you know, tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody because I'm excited about it. Okay. (laughs) And you will also see some joy over on Instagram. I did have to, you know, go out and get the balloons because it was a very insta-worthy kind of moment. Anyways, <laughs> so the Girl Tries Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB. Now, we have talked about an affiliated podcast called Let's Do Coffee before, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about their most recent episode. So they talk with Alex St. Louis, who is the founder of a cloud gaming service called DigiPlay and the co-founder of EduEats. So Alex talks about the troubles of PC gaming because of its price and his ventures into becoming an entrepreneur. His company, DigiPlay, is focused on cloud gaming, a service where users can access hardware demanding games through a simple internet browser. Now, I know nothing about gaming, but if this is your bag, then head to letsdocoffee.libsyn.com. 
Now, as usual, I always like to tell you about the Alberta Podcast Network. I mean, I'm just so pleased to be a part of the network in general. It's really given me a boost and a community to be part of as I've gone through my podcasting network. So I'm actually going to throw it back to the reason I got involved with the podcast network in the first place, because I think that's very apropos given that this is my hundredth episode. So the reason I got involved was because a former coworker of mine, Vanda Favreau, she was a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. She has a podcast called Tight Ends Podcast. Now it's a sport, sports podcast for the rest of us. Vanda claims she doesn't know much about football, but she knows a tight end when she sees one. <laughs> now she knows far more about football than I do. I did actually get to guest co-host an episode with her, so that was super exciting. We talked about um, the Olympics had just happened, and being a non-sports person myself, I took it in the direction of like Tessa and Scott, the, uh, you know, duet skating partners, figure skating partners, and you know how they clearly are in love with each other. But big shout out to Vanda, to the Tight Ends podcast, and for her introducing me to the network. Vanda, I love you. I super appreciate it. And you know, we're at 100 episodes. You've changed everything. So today's episode, I wanted to throw it back to a really, really special guest. So my very first interview, episode number 22, was with business and leadership coach Stephanie Pollock. Stephanie is incredible. And I, do you know, since recording that podcast, I'm, I didn't know her before then, right? She was married to a coworker of mine and I had heard about the great work that she did. But that podcast was the first time I ever spoke to her. And I'm happy to say that since then, I like to think that we've become friends. You know, we text each other about silly things. We have really good catch ups. I really enjoy spending time with her. And the reason I wanted her on this 100th episode, both to throw it back to her being my first guest and guest and celebrating this milestone with me, but Stephanie presented at the Chic Geek Geeky Summit. Uh, Kylie Toe from the Chic Geek has been one of our guests before. And it's a conference for women in tech. And she was talking to them about burnout and how common it is and the difference between self-care and self-comfort and how we so often confuse the two. And I'm guilty of this as well, guys. So in this episode, Stephanie really breaks down what's the difference. What are self-care activities? What is self-comfort? When to do either of them or when you need both, when you need either of them and why self-care will be a game changer in your life and your mental health. So we talk about how you actually fit in self-care because I know so many people in my life are like, I have no time for self-care. We talk exactly about that. So you will figure that out. We talk about the, some of the main tenants that she's got around self-care so that you know if it's self-care or self-comfort. And it's honest to God, like this episode is changing my life. I'm already making sure that I am doing some of these. And I tell you, my morning routine is making me super happy, even though I'm waking up at 5 a.m. Those two things don't usually equate for me, waking up early and being happy. But Stephanie's taught me how to do that. So, you know, you never know. You might get some key learnings from that. So, again, if you want to find the show notes for today, go to girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 100 our 100th episode. And there you will also find the link for the Rafflecopter giveaway. Free coaching sessions, 100 minutes each, three lucky winners. Honestly, guys, this is such an amazing prize. I am so excited, and I really think you should just tell anyone in your life that wants to win so <laughs> that could benefit from some coaching, or if you enjoy this podcast and you think they might enjoy working with me for a little bit. Okay, have a great day, and I hope you enjoy the podcast.
Well, welcome back to the podcast, Stephanie. You're my first repeat guest. I know. I'm so excited, especially considering this is your 100th episode. Congratulations. That's yeah, big. Thank you. 100th episode and you were my very first guest. So I really appreciate it. And I, was, I wanted to have you on for this specific episode. Thank you. I am honored to be here. So I have had the pleasure to get to know you over the last year and a half. When did we, oh, it's a while ago since we recorded that first one. <laughs> yeah. More, more than a year and a half, I think. But, yeah. um, and so enjoyed getting to know you as a person, both personally and professionally. And while I didn't get to go to the Chic Geek Summit, I was a little busy with babies and all the things. I was seeing all over social media, people sharing clips of your presentation about self-comfort versus self-care. And I was like, oh, I missed such a good one. <laughs> and so this is my way to kind of get that presentation again. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah. So I was hoping you could maybe start uh, with sharing to our listeners the sort of story, your burnout story that you shared in your presentation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the presentation really was around how to rise without compromise and, you know, get beyond burnout because uh, particularly for the Chic Geek Summit, that's a, a bunch of tech people and the burnout rate in tech is upwards of 70%. And while that is extraordinarily high, and I think it's probably lower in other markets, it's still a problem across across all industries, uh, particularly with entrepreneurs. So that was really the impetus for that conversation. So my story of burnout, I've probably had a few to be honest, but the one that I shared was when I was in my early 20s and I was working full-time at the YMCA. I was volunteering for the Canadian Red Cross in public affairs to get experience. I was going to university pretty much full time. And I was just trying to do all of the things. And I was 20 something and thinking, yeah, I can do it. I can manage it. <laughs> and one morning I woke up uh, on a day that I had to go to UFC for school. And I just could feel these heart palpitations that totally freaked me out because, you know, I'm 23 and I've never had anything like that happen before. And I'm thinking, what is happening to me? And when they wouldn't go away, I finally said, okay, maybe I should go to emerge. So I drove myself to the Foothills Hospital, same hospital I was born 23 years earlier, and checked myself into emergency. And then went through what was like one of the most embarrassing and now funny days of my life <laughs> because I went from, you know, meeting with the doctor and a nurse and going into meet with them in the emergency. And they said, okay, well, you know, take off your clothes and leave your bra and underwear on and just uh, put this robe on and we'll be back. And I realized being the poor university student I was, that when I took off my shirt, I was wearing this bra that had had a can of Coke explode on it in my bag, like weeks early. It was clean, like it had been washed, but it was stained with all these brown patches. And I just was like, oh man, <laughs> so embarrassed. And then I, you know, proceeded to take take off my clothes, the rest of my clothes and had, you know, those underwear, the pair that you have at the very back of your drawer that you really should never wear. And you should have thrown out, you know, a year ago, but you keep for some reason, like I was wearing that pair and it had holes. The elastic was pretty much gone. And I just thought, seriously, like I'm already stressed out. My heart's beating and I have to contend with this. And in walks like the most attractive young doctor, of course, of course. Right. And so I won't tell all the details of the story because we'll be here for a while, but it just proceeded like one thing after another. I went down to get a, um, an ultrasound and ran into a guy I'd gone to high school with who was going to give me the ultrasound. Then I went into nuclear medicine because they were, you know, totally 
thorough with this and ran into my mom's best friend's husband. Like it was just a comedy of errors. And by the time I got back to the emergency, like the first bed I'd been in, I was just thinking like, get me out of here. I don't care about my heart. I'm just so humiliated. But you know, the doctor came back in and he said, you didn't have a heart attack, but we think you had a panic attack. What kind of stress have you been under? And so in that moment, there was just a little bit of a, you know, awakening for me around, whoa, like what, what's this about a panic attack? I'd, I'd never experienced anything like that before. And it was in that moment that I really realized I had been burning the candles on too many ends for too long and thinking that I could sustain it when really, you know, obviously I wasn't. And my body was, you know, screaming back at me like, good luck with that. Keep going, see what happens. And so that was the, the, the really big impetus for me kind of going like, oh, I got I to gotta pay attention to this stuff. And it's, I mean, I'm sorry that that happened to you. And it's very, it's very entertaining as well, though. I, 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 now it is. <laughs> I, I have had many uh, an experience like that. I was just feeling the shame in my own house. But I mean, I've had shingles twice and I'm 32. Yeah. And the only reason the doctors could come back with was stress. Yeah. And, and I, I know I was burnt out because I was working like crazy 60 hour weeks at a job. I didn't super love my husband. was overseas the first time. Like, you know, there were a lot of different factors, but I, I feel like people, women in general, we don't pay attention until we experience the acute burnout. No. Is there any, like, what do you point people to in terms of like, these are the everyday things that like these are maybe some red flag warning signs. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? Is we have to be willing to pay attention. And I, you know, to your point, I think that's where, where things fall apart is that we just keep going. We, you know, we have bought into a culture that really says, you know, work hard, play, hard, you know, do all the things hard, go, you know, the hustle porn that we see out in, especially in the entrepreneurial space. And so it can be so easy to just be clocking hours, head down at our desk and not really ever coming up to say like, how am I, how am I doing? How am I actually <laughs> feeling right yeah. now? Um, and so, you know, it really starts with awareness, just having those moments of, you know, looking and saying like, how am I feeling right now? When am I, you know, what's going on in my body? Uh, which is something I struggle with. You know, I, I'm not naturally one to, to tap into my body until my body's like, hello, wakey, wakey. But in terms of symptoms, you know, or, or signs, I should say, you know, I think there are a number of them on an emotional level. We might find ourselves more irritable. Uh, we might find ourselves kind of down and blue. We might, you know, like, and there's a spectrum and, you know, along which we're feeling that. So it's not always this, you know, depths of despair kind of feeling, although it can be, but, you know, anywhere along where we just feel kind of off, where our motivation is low, you know, we're waking up more days than not saying like, I don't know how I'm going to tackle this day. Sometimes we just feel like, you know, we're just not super motivated, you know, day after day, like not one day, we all have those days, but when it's kind of chronic and it's become a pattern, you know, that's a problem. Or when we start, you know, our negative self-talk is really loud on a consistent basis. It might be a sign that something's going on. And then of course there are physical signs, you know, whether that's racing heart, you know, anxiety, which is, you know, physical and mental, just kind of that, you know, like reverberating. That's how it feels for me is that I kind of start to kind of just hum yeah. at this level where I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, a big signal for me. It can be, you know, aches and pains, headaches, migraines, backaches, you know, just these things that 
that are not consistent with ourselves when we're when we're at our best and are not driven from some acute thing like an injury so those are i mean there's many more but there's just you know or just exhaustion and tiredness and just kind of like we when we feel like we've just lost our capacity to you know, to make stuff happen, you know, those moments where you're just like, I can't, I just can't. <laughs> yeah. And that, those are check-in points for sure. Yeah. My big takeaway, for, especially what I was seeing over social media about your presentation was the difference between self-care and self-comfort. Mm-hmm. And I think you did such a good job of explaining the difference between the two. So I'm hoping you can do that for our listeners. Sure. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's one of the principles that I talked about in that speech is that we have to look for self-care over self-comfort. And when we think about self-care, what is often, if you were to go on Instagram or Facebook and things like that and and look up self-care or just in kind of the the, the cultural zeitgeist, zeitgeist, you're going to hear a lot about, you know, going for facials and mani patties and having uh, another glass of wine. I mean, the wine culture, particularly among <laughs> women, is just, that's a whole other conversation. And I think it's, I think it's problematic personally, but um, we can save that for another time. But, uh, you know, just this, this conversation around these things or, you know, Netflix and chill and all of that kind of stuff that's about, and what that really is, is escapism and that's self-comfort. Those are things that we use and we tap into when we kind of want to numb, when we want to feel, when we want to feel less, when we don't, when we want to kind of escape the stress or the worries or the anxiety or just the way we're feeling about ourselves and our lives and our work. And listen, there's a place for those things. It's not like I'm saying for a second that watching Netflix once in a while is bad or having a glass of wine is bad. You know, of course not. But when we are using those as tools to not feel, then it's out of self-care realm and it's totally into self-comfort realm where when we engage in those things, we feel good in the moment. We, you know, we have that immediate reprieve of kind of the stress and the worry and all of that kind of stuff because we're engaged in things that kind of numb us out. But the next day when we get up, we don't feel any better. Like we are not nourished. We're not renewed. We don't have a new perspective on things. We don't feel like a better version of ourselves. And that's the distinction between self-comfort and self-care. Self-care, on the other hand, is something that we do and engage in or a tool that we use that actually helps us renew, that helps us come back to ourselves, that allows us to, you know, basically, yeah, like renew and come back and, and be the best versions of ourselves. And the truth of it is, we don't always feel like that in the moment, right? If we go to the gym as an act of self-care, like, I don't really want to, you know, I mean, so for all those listeners you have that love going to the gym, like, yay you, <laughs> not, not yet me, yeah. but um, that is an act of self-care. Whereas, you know, me sitting on the couch watching show after show of Netflix or scrolling Instagram is not, you know, self-care is something that rejuvenates us and uh, makes us feel better, even if it doesn't in the moment. Yeah, you've got some really great examples in your presentation. Like, yes, there is the gym and and eating healthy and meal prepping and all that kind of stuff. But you also say, like, it's not don't have a glass of wine, but maybe have a glass of wine with some close friends and like Mm -hmm. actually talk and share and removing a toxic person from your life, which I was like, amen. Like, how many of us keep that person in our life and it just ticks away at our daily 
our daily stress levels or and everything. And I think the sleep is so huge for a lot of people. I, I just went on a girls weekend with a friend of mine who I haven't seen in eight years. And we're, wow. we're both mamas to two little kids. And we were saying, I was telling her about the self-comfort versus self-care. And she's like, that is me. That is exactly. Because we were saying, yes, we want to, in theory, get that really good night's sleep. But it also feels, I think, for a lot of parents, men and women, and that you, as soon as your kids go to bed, that's your time. Mm -hmm. So it's like you kind of want however much of that time you can get, and yet you want the good night's sleep also. So it's, so how do you, what do you suggest for people that are going through that, like, oh, battle? Well, first I want to recognize as a mom of two kids, you know, mine are eight and almost 10. So, you know, I've moved out of that early stage that you're in, but you know, like I, I just want to give permission, especially to new parents and parents of really young kids that there is a season of life where it just is harder. And I, I don't have the perfect answer around that. However, what I would say to your point is, you know, if sleep is so important, which I absolutely believe it to be. And yet you're right. We want to have that time to ourselves afterward. Then at the very least, if you're going to compromise some of your sleep to get some you time, make that you time really effective, right? Like really nourishing. Don't just go on Instagram for an hour because you're going to be up until 10 or 11 going to bed. You're going to be tired and you will have had nothing that actually really, truly made you feel any better that set you up for the next day. Whereas, you know, if, if it's about connecting with an old friend and you stay up till 11 because the conversation is rich and deep and that layer of connectedness and belonging trumps the sleep that night, then I think that's okay. You know, as long as it's, as long as it's not a pattern where it's really becoming, you know, impacting your day-to-day functioning, it's just being more intentional about how you use that time. And also recognizing, you know, when I had young kids, I didn't get a lot of me time. And, you know, there's probably an argument to say that I should have been better about taking that time. And that's probably true on a level. But it was also like, sleep is important. This may be a season of my life where I don't get to do all the things. And I'm going to prioritize sleep right now because that's really important to me. And that actually helps me be my best self the next day. It makes me show up better for my kids. It makes me not, you know, go into frustration and irritability, which I am bound to do if I don't get enough sleep. Like I know that that's a trigger point for me that if I don't get enough of it, you know, it's game over. Right. Well, and I mean, when we look at, at stress and the number of people that are experiencing chronic stress, there are certain things that you can do from like the foundational point, which all tie into that, into self-care, right? Like it's the sleeping enough, moving your body, uh, eating foods that make you feel more vibrant and energetic and all that kind of stuff. It just takes, yeah, it takes that time and energy to do it. But one of the things I love that you do that I have tried out for a week. <laughs> I know where you're going. <laughs> is your morning routine. Yes. yes. I mean, you get up at 4.30 every day. I got up at five this week, but that was still <laughs> early. It was great. It was amazing. I got to like do my own thing before yeah. my children were awake and have coffee before they were up. Because the biggest difference for me was I was proactive instead of waking up with them and reacting to the day from the get-go. Yes. 
Yes, that's exactly it. And, and again, this comes back to, I, I have tried that morning routine a few times. And when I had kids your age, Victoria, I was not particularly successful at that plan, <laughs> you know, and it was just because I couldn't, I couldn't guarantee the level of sleep I was going to get. My daughter at 18 months was still not sleeping through the night. You know, it just was not a feasible option for me now with, you know, having older kids, it actually is. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you with that morning routine, just to circle back to something you said about there are those basic basics around sleep and eating and movement. You know, I do think there are some cornerstone self-care activities that we all know we need to engage in. Like it is not, it is not new information to say that sleep, movement, you know, and eating well, those three are critical to our sense of well-being and probably connection as well. Yeah. But then also, so those are kind of baselines and we all, we all need to be looking at where we can get more of those things. And that's a journey. You know, I'm really good with the sleep, not as good with the movement and the eating can be hit or miss too. Connection's pretty good as well. So I have my own journey to make in those things. But then the other piece is just recognizing that self-care is extremely individualized. So we also have to find other activities or tools in self-care that really match us and make us come alive. So all of those cornerstone ones are super important, but then I have some other ones that are just true to me and that may not be true to you or somebody else. And that morning routine has become one of those. So I started that, you know, like I said, I've started it a few times, hadn't been successful. And then I was starting to feel that anxiety level again. And this time, because I've gone through it before, I was like, oh, I know what this is. Yep. Know what that is. That's not, not awesome. And, you know, I kind of thought like, oh, that's a day of that. Oh, that's two days of that oh, that's three days of that. And I was, you know, then of course you get anxiety about your anxiety. Right? <laughs> because it's like, wow, ah, what's wrong with me? And so I was waking up really early, you know, that middle of the night kind of, I, I think it, people refer to it as like that. Uh, I don't actually remember the name, but it's kind of like that dark time of the soul, right? At like 4 a.m. when the world is asleep and you're just with yourself and your thoughts and you're like, ah. you know, I, that's what was happening to me. Not for any really acute, obvious reason, but it was just coming back. I, I think I was under a lot of stress that I didn't even realize I was. And so eventually I just said, okay, well, I'm already waking up. Why don't I just try getting up? Because I'm not sleeping well when I'm asleep, you know, when I'm lying there. Why don't I get up and take my agency back for kind of my feelings and my time? And that began, you know, it's been now 10 months of getting up every weekday morning at 4.30, sometimes 4.15. And, you know, there's been a few days I've missed, but more often than not that I'm doing that. And that really was an exercise in, I would say, not just self-care, but radical self-care. Like it was just a non-negotiable for me as soon as I started doing it because how I was able to then uh, navigate the rest of my day was drastically different than on the days that I did miss it. And that wasn't just about having a cup of coffee before my kids got up, although that was lovely. I could probably get in two cups of coffee. (laughs) And it wasn't just about, you know, being more, uh, you know, like having their lunches made before we got into the rat race of the morning and that rat race really decreasing. But it was also about taking some time to just be with myself, process my feelings. I started doing meditation. I started doing Julia Cameron's from her book, The Artist's Way, morning pages where I would just free write for three pages and just get the junk out of my head because I just was feeling a level of being out of control with my own thoughts and my own emotions. And I didn't like that. And I thought rather than just kind of swirl in this, I'm going to try and process it and reflect on it and move through it. And you know, then the morning routine just became this non-negotiable for me. And uh, it's been working ever since. I think what you're saying there is that I'm taking away from it as a core is that 
it can be a challenge in the early days. Like I'm sure you were not like, yeah, I'm going to get up at 415 in the early days. But now that you're in the habit and you see the benefits from it, it, there's that internal motivation is there. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I talked about this in one of my recent podcast issues or episodes after reading James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, where it was just, it's now become, it's less of a process driven habit, which he talks about doing, you know, like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym six days a week or whatever. It now has turned into an identity based habit where it's like, I am an early riser. You know, like that, that is a self-belief now. So what happens is even on the days where my kids don't sleep through night, you know, my son had a nightmare a couple of weeks ago and we've had a few rocky nights where he's waking up. So there have been a few moment, moment, mornings lately where I haven't gotten up, but I don't have that inner dialogue anymore of like, oh, I've probably broken the thread. Oh yeah, I'm not gonna be able to do it anymore. Oh yeah, well, that was good while it lasted, which has certainly been my experience with other self-care habits, particularly going to the gym. So, you know, now the morning routine has just become like, I am an early riser. I get up early. I take time for myself in the morning. That's an identity-based habit now. So I don't worry about it if I miss a few days, even a week, because I know that that's important to me enough. It matters enough. And it's part of who I am now that I just do it. And I highly recommend our listeners read that book. I'm about a third of the way through it right now and really enjoying it. But for, for those that haven't yet, can you maybe explain a little bit, like for the identity piece of the habit, is that something people can expect to see at the beginning or is that something that develops over time? Like how do they tie mm -hmm. the identity to the habit? Well, you know, that was the, that was the aha for me in that book. I mean, I've read a lot of books on habit. I am a bit of a productivity junkie anyway. I love that kind of stuff. But James's book was really, that, that particular section was really like game changing for me. And, and basically how he talks about it is if you imagine three concentric circles, so a circle in the middle, then a circle around it, and then one more big one overlaying, you know, around all the other two. In, on the outer ridge is like achievement-based habits, like results, like I want to lose 20 pounds kind of thing, like very results focused. In the middle is the process habits formation, which is around, you know, like what you're going to do. So that's like, I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. And I hate that we always use the weight loss one because I really don't buy into that, but it's just an obvious easy one yeah. to kind of wrap our heads around. You know, I'm going to go to the gym five days a week. And then the identity one is much more around what we believe ourselves to be. And his philosophy is that we approach habits all wrong. We start on the outside and try and work our way in as opposed to starting on the inside from that identity and working our way out. And so he uses an example in the book for around smoking. And he says, you know, there's two smokers, they decide to stop smoking. And when somebody offers them the cigarette, one person says, no, thanks. I'm trying to quit smoking. And the other person says, no, thanks. I'm not a smoker. And that discern the discernment between those two, even though they are both on the same path and probably, you know, in this example, it start stopped uh, smoking on the same day, how they saw themselves was different. One was in the act, was in the process of trying to become a non-smoker. The other one had already had started with the identity to say, no, like I'm a non-smoker. So what does a non-smoker do? A non-smoker doesn't smoke. Somebody trying not to smoke might still smoke here and there, right? And so it's that difference between the two. And if we start with the identity pieces, even if it feels a little disingenuous in the beginning, because we don't totally buy into it, but we really try and think about like, who do I want to be? Who, do, who is the person I want to step into being? Um, then, then, we then from there, we determine the process, like the actions we take, and then the results inevitably follow. Because if I buy into the idea that I'm a morning person, I rise early to take care of myself, then my actions are going to be, I'm going to get up at 4.30, five days a week. 
And then my results are going to be, you know, all the things that happen as a result of that, that have been important to me. Plus as a result, I'm going to be an early riser. Like that's going to come to fruition. That's going to be true. And so that was really impactful for me, particularly as I look at why I was able to make some very specific habit changes around the morning and also my reading. Um, and you know, this year I'm on a quest to read hundred books, which feels totally manageable compared to previous years where I thought, oh, you know, I'm, you know, like now I kind of go, I'm a reader. What do readers do? Readers read, right? Yeah. So I'm going to do that versus me and say, uh, going to the gym or working out. I have a lot of stuff and stories around that, that I have not yet internalized around. I'm somebody who moves her body daily. Like I have not got there yet. And I know that that's where I have to start from is I am somebody who takes care of her body. I am somebody who is active, you know, and I, then I would act into that. And that's the work I'm doing like literally in the moment. Yeah. No, I love it. It's like reverse engineering the habits and it, uh, totally. it makes so much more sense to me. And it's one of those things you hear it and you're like, why haven't we been doing this all along? <laughs> right? Exactly. That was my reaction. I'm like, oh yeah. Uh-huh. That makes sense. I get yeah. it now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. no, I love it. So you have these five tenants of self-care and again, they just were like for me. But there's, we don't probably have time to go into all five, but there's two that I really, really resonated with me. And we kind of touched on it a little bit, but first you said that it has to make you feel more like yourself. Mm -hmm. So I can't claim ownership of that. That particular phrase came from a podcaster and blogger, which you would love, uh, Victoria. I'm sure your listeners would. Uh, she's called the La Lazy Genius. Okay. Her name's Kendra. And her philosophy is be genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't right? Yeah. So it's a really great philosophy. And, you know, she talks about self-care. She had this line around it, making you feel more like yourself. And I thought, oh yeah, exactly. Right. And so that's, that's circling back to what I was saying before about how there are those tenants that are just true. Like we know working out or, you know, moving our body is true. We know eating well, like we know those things, but then the other pieces are uh, examining what us, what make us feel more like ourselves. And that is totally, totally personalized to ourselves, you know, to us. So for example, I don't particularly care about getting mani pedis and I'm being a bit flip with that, yeah. but uh, you know, I have no judgment about people who do find true self-care in that. I don't. Right. So rather than feeling like that's what I need to go do for myself, you know, I just don't. Whereas, you know, an act of self-care for me is, you know, like I have a bath every single night, which, you know, not like a glorious bubble bath, but a bubble bath with some candles, some Epsom salts, and just a little bit of quiet. And that every time I step out of the bath, I feel more like myself. My anxiety is down. My worries are down. I, it helps me get ready for bed. You know, like it's really impactful for me, you know, connecting with friends when I feel like I'm swirling, I know that I need to reach out. Like there are some things that help me come back to my center, come back to myself, get me, get me grounded in you know, who I am at my core, as opposed to kind of that, like hum of stress in the outside world and all the outputs uh, or the inputs that are trying to make room in my brain. Yeah. And I totally agree that it looks drastically different, can look drastically different for different people. Cause I, the number of people that have said, you're still podcasting on your mat leave. And, and I'm like, this is what makes me feel like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we can find that in all places of our life. So it's, you know, in our personal lives, but, you know, I just recorded an episode yesterday or, you know, in the spirit of Valentine's day around, you know, seven ways to love your work again. And I was talking about doing more of the things that you love, right? Like that is an act of self-care for your work. 
if you are engaged in using your strengths and your zone of genius, as Gay Hendricks would say, and you are doing activities that you really love. So you really love podcasting that, and you know, like beyond just kind of like, oh, I really like podcasting, but I'm imagining connecting with other people, you know, hearing different points of view, all of that stuff helps you you know, frame who you want to be in this world and also connects you with other human beings and all of those and being of service to other people that are listening, you know? And so if that makes you come alive, then of course you should keep doing it because if you stopped it over your mat leave, then there would be this piece, you know, that would be missing for you and it wouldn't let you feel as much like yourself as you want to. Exactly. You also spoke about how you can do self-care on the margins. And I know so many people that are like, I don't have time for self-care. So what's your advice for this self-care on the, the margins? What can that actually look like in daily life? Well, I get that, you know, as somebody who loves to work, loves to do a lot of things, loves to keep herself busy, sometimes, you know, to the detriment mm-hmm. <laughs> of myself, right? Like I, I, I like being busy and I, I don't buy into the, if I'm really honest, I do not buy into the idea that we don't have time. We can find those windows of time. You know, it's just, it comes back to people have asked me, as I'm sure, cause I know you read a lot too, Victoria, people have asked me, how do you, how do you make time for all this reading? You know, I read 60 books last year or 56 the year before. And they're like, I have no time, you know? And I just say, because I do it in the margins. If I'm waiting in line at Safeway or Superstore, I've got my Kindle app open and I'm reading a few pages. If I'm in the pickup line to pick up my kids and I've got 15 minutes, instead of just staring out the window or scrolling Instagram, I bring my book with me and I read 10 pages. You know, it's just finding those little margins of time and they add up. And I think that's the fallacy that we think about anything that we want to do that matters to us, you know, and we'll use a self-care example is that if we don't have these big blocks of time, then it doesn't count. So if we don't, you know, if we don't have a whole spa day, then it doesn't count. If we don't have an hour and a half to get to the gym, it doesn't count. If we can't make time for a girl's night out on Saturday night, then it doesn't count. And it's like, there are so many other ways that you can tap into those margins to find little moments of self-care. So maybe, you know, if connection is one of those things you really need to feel alive and like the best version of yourself, then, you know, do you get on Voxer with your best friend every day and have a couple of Voxes when the kids are going down for a nap, you know, and just like five minutes here and there. If you know movement's really important, you know, can you do those 10 minute workouts? Like we all have 10 minutes and we all have 10 minutes. We really honestly all have 10 minutes. You know, if it's about journaling, you don't have to journal five pages. You can do one scribbly page or type it out. If it's about meditation, you know, I meditate every single day, but I meditate for five minutes and I have not, that's been 10 months going. I have not increased it because I don't want to. Five minutes is perfect. Yeah. Right. We all have five minutes. So It's just being really creative and mindful about all these little pockets of time that we think we don't have, but we actually do. And one of the best ways I think to get a handle on that is if you are on a iPhone, turn on screen time and get the weekly report and see how much time you are spending scrolling Instagram, popping into Facebook. There are pockets of time you are using for self-comfort that could be turned into self-care instead if you got intentional about it. Well, and it's funny. I know we both love Cal Newport and he, but, and he talks about, I haven't read the most recent one. I'm so excited to read it, but there was, I think it was deep work where he was talking about all those pockets of time where you use, you know, you're waiting in line, you're bored, you're whatever. And you turn to your phone, you turn to your phone, you turn to your phone, you're sort of deprogramming your brain from allowing 
thoughts to percolate and to sort of be creative like that boredom actually can serve us but we we see boredom as such a nope nope can't do that can't do that anything to fill the void yeah and that that often at least for me is about not wanting to feel the feelings right i I don't want to actually sit with how i feel about things and so must distract myself (laughs) yeah so you know and Hey, we're, we're human. We all do those things. But if we can use some of those times to, you know, even just be in the world without engaging in anything, I'm reading this book. I'm too early in to comment much on it, but it's called in praise of wasting time. And it's really just, you know, exactly what you said, this philosophy of we don't ever turn, turn stuff off literally and figuratively to give ourselves just moments where we, we just are wasting, you know, quote, wasting time and being in kind of like our own own space and our own thoughts without having to analyze them or like turn on a podcast or read it you know even those kind of things can be just distractions but at least if you're going to distract yourself do something that helps you feel better at the end of it not worse i don't know about you but there i I can't really count on one hand the amount of times that i've gone on a social media platform for an hour scrolling and i've walked away going like now that was a really good use of my time (laughs) like i feel really good now you know i'm usually feeling a little bit of FOMO or a little compare and despair, or I'm feeling a little bit like I'm behind on things. You know, it's not, I mean, there's a place for it, but when it becomes this thing that we just engage with on default rather than design, then we're missing so many opportunities to do things that actually help us live better. I don't know. Videos of golden retrievers make me feel real good. (laughs) True. Golden retriever puppies. I know the dodo on Facebook, that gets me every time of the animals being rescued. Yeah. But uh, when you watch 10 of them in the row, (laughs) maybe not, right? Maybe overload. Yeah. Maybe maybe overload. So I'm curious because you, you, as you've been saying, you've been hardcore into self-care for about 10 months now. Have you noticed a difference in, in your work, your output, your family life? What, what would, uh, what would people on the outside sort of see? Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't actually know if uh, people on the outside would even notice it. My husband probably would. My kids probably would. I, I should have asked them beforehand. And to be honest, Victoria, I don't really care. Like yeah. I am doing it because I needed it. Like it was, it was a non, it was a, not an option. You know, it got to that point where it was like, this just isn't a negotiable thing. Um, and truthfully, I have a lot more to add in. Like I know fundamentally that if I start uh, moving my body more, that I'm going to start feeling better. And I've been trying to do more of that through yoga, like a, you know, yoga with Adrian. She's got a great, you know, 30 day thing. And I've been mm-hmm. doing that. And just even that alone has made me feel better as well. But, you know, using the morning routine and some of the other strategies that I use on a regular basis, I, I just feel less stressed. I feel less anxious. I feel like I've got access to a deeper well of creativity and authenticity, which are buzzwords I know, but kind of like who I am. I just feel, I feel better and more attuned to that. And I also have something that when I'm feeling out of sorts, I have tools that I can tap into to get me back, right? As opposed to just kind of like letting that itty bitty shitty committee run, run me away, <laughs> right? Where I start having the negative thoughts and the stress and all the, you know, the inner critic stuff. And I'm just like, take me, just take me all the way down the hole. <laughs> you yeah. know, I can stop it now a lot quicker because I have tools that I use that I know work because of the practice 
to get me out of that space. So sometimes in the evening, I feel a light buzz and it's probably because I'm tired because I get up early and evenings right now with my kids are a little bit much. And, you know, around 830, I'm kind of like, and I know if I go have a bath for 15 minutes, literally, because I like them really hot, so I can't stand very Mm -hmm. long in 15 minutes, I feel better. Like it really is that, you know, sharp a contrast. And so rather than just engaging with all that stuff, I just stop it a lot sooner. And so of course the natural extension of that is that I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be less irritable. I'm going to be able to do my work better and be more productive, not every day, but more days than were happening before. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. Do it for you. Have that intrinsic motivation. But like you're saying, I know for myself when I get to bar or I get to run or whatever, three, four times a week, I am a much happier parent. I Mm -hmm. I am less (laughs) controlling maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anything about that. What are you talking about? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I took a parenting, I'm taking a parenting course right now and they had a parenting personality survey and I'm like, I don't (laughs) think I like the results of this. Like, oh, maybe 10 months of like hardcore self-care and it might shift a little bit. Who knows? Yeah. But I will say on the parenting front, you know, like since I started getting up in the morning, so, you know, my kids, I wake them up between seven and seven fifteen on the weekdays. And so I've got a good two and a half hours before they wake up. And so like the end part of my, you know, early morning routine is that I, you know, pour another cup of coffee. This is at like 6.30. I make their lunches. I start getting breakfast ready, get some clothes out. And so when they come down the stairs at 7, 7.15, I am not in the headspace of like, okay, what do I got to make for lunch? And what are we going to do for breakfast? Like that's already been decided and started or finished. And so our mornings are just like, we do not have frantic mornings anymore, you know, other than just kind of some of my kids' idiosyncrasies, but it's not coming from me anymore of kind of like, ah, we got to get all this stuff, get, come on, get ready. But like, we just have lots of space to make our morning routines go a lot better, which means the start of my day is better. The start of their day is better, which means when I come back to my desk, it's easier to jump into that as opposed to starting from this kind of like frantic place. So it has this like ripple effect throughout the rest of the day. Yeah. Oh, I am, I am so inspired to, to really go hardcore at this, um, mm-hmm. in a, in a self-care way, a hardcore self-care. Yeah. Way. That sounds ironic. <laughs> hardcore self-care. There you go. I was yeah. going to ask you about how sort of to balance self-care if you're in sort of a more old school work environment. But I think what I'm hearing you say is, especially with doing it on the margins, if you're in the work kind of workplace that is not flexible and not forgiving in any of those kinds of ways, like can you get out for a quick walk at lunch? Can like, where are the margins where you can get this in and get that time somewhere in your day? So you feel more like yourself. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I'll just speak to that really quickly. Cause I, you know, having been in corporate, I, you know, it's been 11 years since I've been there, but uh, remembering that time, having a pretty high stress job, you know, it really does become about finding the margins, you know, that there would be no reason why I couldn't, get up early on those days too and have that window of time to be able to show up at the office at the regular whatever 7:30 to 8:30 kind of window but already having had an hour to myself you know those are choices we get to make right and i can't uh, i can't solve for all systemic you know organizational problems and sometimes you know you have to evaluate if it's healthy enough to stay 
right? Like when I um, have talked to people over the years who've been working in corporate jobs or nine to five jobs, sometimes the cost of staying is too great. You know, it really is impacting our ability to be the best versions of ourselves. And we have to make hard choices. But if those choices are not available to us, or we don't actually want to make that choice because enough about the job we like, then you know, we've got to find the margins. We've got to find those other spaces. We can't, we can't just say, oh, my job's so stressful. You know, all those things we have to say, you know what, this matters enough because I want to show up and I want to live my life from a place of, you know, me being the best version of me. And to do that, I'm going to have to create space for that because if it can't happen at work, then you got to find it somewhere else. That's the bottom line. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I know our listeners are going to get a lot of value on this and they can head to our show notes to hear your first interview all about who you are and what you do. And, and this is just a great bonus. Thanks so much for having me. Wasn't that an amazing episode, you guys? Stephanie is just full of wisdom, full of tenants. I highly recommend you check her out. One thing I didn't mention in the promo is that Stephanie also has her own podcast. It's called Rise Without Compromise. It's strategies for women in leadership. Honestly, it doesn't matter if you're in a leadership role or not. I find so much value from her podcast and I am a regular listener. So I highly recommend that you check it out. Again, if you want show notes for today, it's at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 100. And make sure you enter the giveaway to win some free coaching. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone in your life. I am so excited. And thank you for being on this journey with me. All excitement, like all, you know, hyperness and excitement aside, 100 episodes is a huge milestone for me. And I am so honored that you have been on this journey with me, whether you started listening today or whether you have been around since the very beginning. I couldn't be more grateful. So thank you. <laughs>